You can open up to Matthew chapter 20. It'll be a few minutes before we get there, but Matthew chapter 20 is where we will be. We're talking about the goodness of God this morning. I'm excited to be able to jump in here and cover, cover a lot of ground this morning. So Matthew chapter 20. Over the course of the last few months, we've lost a lot of things here since March. We've uh, had to do without a lot of things. And one of the things that I have lamented is that we have lost the ability to go to the movies. I just saw today where uh, Regal is going to be shutting down a bunch of their cinemas for a pretty long period up until like the spring or so. And uh, but because no movies are, are coming out right now, all the, all the studios are, are holding those out. They're keeping those away. And so we've not been able to go to the movies and see, see any new uh, new movies. Uh, em- Emily and I don't watch a ton of movies, but we, we watch a few, and it's a treat when we're able to stumble on one that we can we can uh, both enjoy, uh, which makes it tough because uh, Emily likes movies that that make her smile. So think like rainbows and butterflies, and if it's not rainbows and butterflies, she doesn't like it. Like. Just no, like that's just the, the way that it works. She just doesn't like it. I'm looking for a movie that will either make me feel or make me uh, think, preferably uh, both. And uh, those two, the, the Venn diagram of those two things does not overlap very often. Uh, the, the ones that make you just smile all the time, I mean, maybe that makes you feel a little bit if you can get past some of the cheesiness of it. Uh, the ones that, that, that make you, you think is typically not going to be the ones that just make you smile all the time. But every now and then, those will overlap with, uh, with, one, uh, with one another. But either way, even if we do find it tough to find movies that we can both agree on, I hate that we just can't go to the movies and enjoy that kind of event, that kind of escape uh, right now, it's it's it, it, it it's something that we have missed in the midst of all of this that we are unable uh, to do. So instead of that, what you uh, what we've done, what we've done a lot is uh, you kind of find it fun to go back and and look back at old movies. You look back at, at movies from uh, a different time, and uh, and and it can be funny to see how movies have changed over the decades, or or and and how the emphasis of movies have uh, changed. Obviously, special effects have changed. You can do a lot more today than you could have done uh, 30 or 40 years ago, but lots of other things have changed uh, too. Uh, Just as an example, I'm not sure how many of you have gone back and watched some of your favorite movies from when you were a child. For me, that's going to be the 80s. Uh, You go back and watch some of the movies from from when you were a a child, and, and, and you put on some of the classics and one of the things that I've noticed is there seems to be a lot more words, specific kind of words, in the 80s movies than, than I remembered when I watched these movies as a kid. Uh, there can be a lot of words that makes it really awkward for you to watch it with, uh, with your, your kids in the room. And so over the years, we tried to do different movies like The Goonies uh, or, or Top Gun. Uh, and I'm not sure if you remember those movies. I remember, like, the, the Goonies, I remember stuff about pirates. And with Top Gun, I remember stuff about jets. And mixed into that is a lot of words that our kids are not supposed to be using. Uh, and we're not supposed to be using either. It's just something about the 80s movies that has that. I'm not sure when the last time you, you watched some of those movies. But I promise you, if you go watch them, you'll find some, some words that you had uh, forgotten. 
Now, we've been able to watch Top Gun here recently thanks to something called VidAngel that takes uh, the curse words out, takes certain scenes out of movies, uh, and enables you to be able to, to watch the movie with those things removed, which makes Top Gun almost like watching a silent film. But uh, we, we were able to do that and watch that. Now Isaiah wants to be Maverick for Halloween because that's what you do whenever you watch Top Gun. You know that's what you want to um, be. But movies are just different these days. They're, they're made differently. They're, their focus is different. The way they tell stories is different. Special effects are different. A lot of these things are different. In some ways better, in some ways worse. But one of the consistent changes over the last few decades has been this blurring of the line between the good guys and the bad guys. To where you don't really, like, like the, the two kind of get become like live in this gray area instead of having black and white you have this gray area somewhere in uh in the middle uh and and you guys know what i'm talking about i don't know how many of you guys are watching the the cobra kai on netflix i bet some of you guys are some of y'all watching that no yeah a few of you all right so the like if you watch karate kid from 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 the 80s you know who the good guy is and you know who the bad guy is there is no question uh, about that. Um, but, but these days, they don't tell stories quite that same way where you know who is good and who is, who is bad. They're made so that the protagonist, the guy that you are pulling for, is oftentimes, by all definitions, not a good guy. He's a criminal, he's violent, he's vulgar, he's irreverent. Uh, and, and this becomes the guy that you find yourself pulling for. It's not this clear kind of cut black and white, who's the good guy and who is, uh, who is the bad. And when you watch movies, for me, one of the first things that I'm doing when I'm trying to filter all the characters that you're getting to know in a movie is trying to figure out, okay, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? Just tell me who the good guys are and the bad guys are. Let me know that in the first 10 minutes and then I'll know how to process the rest of what uh, I, I watch. But then again, sometimes this stuff gets, gets turned on its head because you're supposed to pull for the, the good guy. And, but when I was a kid, I liked the bad guy a lot. Darth Vader was by far my favorite Star Wars character. And if you guys aren't, aren't Star Wars fans, then Darth Vader's the bad guy. That's the way that that's supposed to be. But I loved pulling for Darth Vader. But outside of that, I needed to know who the good guy and the bad guy was. I needed to figure this out. Now, this trend has its good parts and its, and its bad parts, but it's just how stories are told so often now. In a lot of ways, it's truer to life. We're all complicated people, and it's never as clear-cut as an 80s movie might like for you to believe of who's good and who's bad. And it holds the tension of the viewer longer, makes for a more interesting movie. But at times, that, that question that they put out there is meant to be even more philosophical. It's meant to make you ask the question, what does it mean to be good anyway? What does it mean to be good? And they intentionally blur those lines so that you will ask that question, what does it mean to be good? And that question, that question is going to be our question as well this morning. If you're new here, then, then, then you've arrived here in the middle of a series that we are going through right now called Things Too Wonderful, where we are looking at the attributes of God and the fruit of the Spirit, so who God is, what makes God God, and then the things that we are called to be. And we're, show, we're looking at how those things overlap. 
And so today we're going to be looking at the goodness of God, who He is, how He is good, and at the same time looking at how we too are called to be good. How that is to express itself in our lives. Let's just read again for repetition. Let's just read again Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. Hopefully that's getting kind of etched in your brain at this point so that you know those. And you know we've covered several of those at this point. So this week we're going to talk about goodness. And let me tell you, this has been uh, a, a bit of a tough one to prepare for. Uh, not because we're unfamiliar with the concept of God's goodness. After all, if you've been around, ch- been around church for, for much time, you know the saying. You know the saying, right? So y'all can finish this for me. God is good. Oh, wow, that was weak. Let's try this again. God is good all the time. Right, so this, if you don't know that saying, that's fine. That just means that you weren't part of a church that had this in its lingo. But it's one of those kind of sayings that has made its, its way through, uh, through Christianity and through the churches in the West especially. This little thing, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. We know God is good. It's baked into the conversation when we talk about uh, God, almost that it is assumed But what we fail to know is exactly what in the world that means anyway. What does it mean that God is good? Each week I begin my preparation in studying these fruits and I I start to sort through things. And where I begin every week, I begin with the question of what does this word mean? Once I figure that out, then I will know kind of the direction that we're going to go in the sermon and, and we'll figure out where to go from there. And, and I asked this question, what does this word mean? And this week, I, I, I tried asking that question, and I asked a lot of people what that question means. Some of you all, I may have asked that question. And here's what I found out about the word goodness. Nobody agrees on what that means. N- none of y'all, and not even like current Bible scholars, and not even like old Bible scholars. They all kind of talk about something v- different. Sometimes very different things they talk about whenever you talk about the goodness of God. So whether it's, 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 it's asking today and, and what we think of in God's goodness in, in our contemporary environment or going back to some old scholars, nobody really says the same thing about God's goodness. And what, here's what surprises me is that nobody seems bothered by that. Everybody's kind of fine with there being just these different definitions about the goodness of of God. Some people essentially equate goodness with kindness. In fact, if you do a lot of different studies on the attributes of God or on the fruits of the Spirit, they will combine these two, goodness and kindness. And they say that effectively that means the same thing. Um, Now, I want to be kind of sympathetic to that because like we've said all along when we talk about the attributes of God, you can't make clear distinctions between these, right? All that God is, God is all the time. We've talked about that since this summer. So he is always good, always kind. And this is not like one is set against each other or one is is more important at this time. He is all of his attributes all of the time. So Scripture doesn't give us clear distinctions. But I, I think that there's a different emphasis whenever we talk about these different things. Other times, goodness is less like a, a disposition, so, you know, that he is generally good, kind of like 
jolly old Saint Nick, like he's just jolly all the time. God is just good all the time. So it's less like a disposition and more like an action or even more specific, uh, a result. So goodness is more about how things work out for us, especially us as believers. So this kind of plays off of, uh, off of Romans 8.28. You guys probably know that verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For good. So it uses that same word and it plays off of that. But those are two wildly different things. That God is generally kind or that God has things that work out for us in a good way. Like Those are very different concepts. Yet often these things are kind of used interchangeably when we talk about the goodness of God. Personally, outside of the Bible, I don't really use the word goodness uh, all that much. One exception, uh, and if you were here last week, I'm going back to, to food again. If I am eating like a peach cobbler or a pie, then I am probably going to make a comment about, ooh, look at all that goodness right there, right? And what we're talking about is like the gooey goodness in the middle of it, the, the, the filling of the pie, all the stuff that makes it up. That's about the only time I use the word goodness. So, so what does this mean? How do we use this word and how do we talk about God? What do we mean when we talk about the fact that God is good? On top of that, what do you do with the fact that you're called to goodness? You're called to goodness. After all, if, 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 if being good is about how God works things out for us, then if we're called to goodness, does that mean that we are called to work things out for ourselves or we're called to work things out for other people? What does it mean for us then to be good? Asking this question is nothing new. This is a question that Jesus himself asked, or at least a very sim- similar one. You remember his interaction with the rich young ruler, Luke chapter 18? The ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do in, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So even Jesus is kind of pressing this guy that shows up and says, what do you mean when you say good? Why are you calling me good? God is the only one that is good. So what do you mean when you say that I am good? So Jesus is laying out for this young man that good is not just something you throw around. It's not just a a casual descriptor that has no meaning. It has something behind it. It means something when we use that word. And we want to be certain of how we use it. So after kicking around a few different things, I kind of stumbled on a definition that I think will help us out a lot this morning. Uh, I think goodness is hard to define because goodness is kind of the chameleon of the attributes of God and of the fruit of the Spirit. It kind of blends in into whatever environment that it is in. It doesn't look like one thing all the time. It looks like very different things in a lot of different things. A lot of different times. Listen to this quote. It's quotes either from, 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 from Charles Spurgeon or from, another, uh, or from another theologian named Stephen Charnock. They kind of borrow, Spurgeon kind of borrows from him. But listen to this. This is talking about goodness. When it relieves the miserable, it is mercy. When it bestows favors on the unworthy, it is grace. When it bears with provoking rebels, it is patience. When it confers promised blessings, 
it is truth. When it supplies for the poor, it is bounty. And when it pardons a penitent person, it is mercy. All summed up this one name of goodness. And the psalmist expresses these same sentiments in that same word, goodness. So you see how that works. You saw that a bit in this psalm that I read this morning in Psalm 107. To the thirsty, he gives a drink. To the homeless, he gives a home. To the hungry, he gives food. To the sailor, he quiets the storm. To the prisoner, he grants freedom. To the sinful, he offers them a way out. Depending on the person, depending on the circumstance, depending on all that is going on, God's goodness looks different to each person in each situation. It looks different to all of us. But the common thread is that His goodness is on display for all of us to see. So what is goodness? What is God's goodness? It is a disposition toward His people and His creation that He is generous, kind, benevolent, and compassionate. I'm going to say that again. It is a disposition toward His people and His creation that He is generous, kind, benevolent, and compassionate. It is this general sense that God is for us and that He is eager to show us that at all times. So when we talk about God's goodness, this is what I have in mind whenever I say this. This is true both of the people that He has called as well as all of creation. In theology, we talk about the difference between common grace and specific or special grace. Common grace is not common as in it's not all that great, but common as in this is common to everyone. Everyone enjoys this part of God's goodness that He displays toward all people. The rain that falls, the water, the ground, the sun that rises uh, to give us warmth, the, the, the view from the mountaintop, this is a common grace for all of us and a thousand other different ways that we could talk about this. You don't have to be a Christian to experience the goodness of God. However, as a Christian, you are the beneficiary of some very specific ways God's goodness works. Namely, in forgiveness and atonement. This is all goodness to us. The challenge then is if we are to declare that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, that starts to sound a bit like we're talking about jolly old Saint Nick, right? That, start, that starts to sound like we're talking about Santa Claus. Because Santa Claus is good to us all the time, and all the time Santa Claus is good to us. And you can just kind of substitute those things out, and that's how we start to view God. Maybe Santa has a naughty and nice list, but everybody thinks they end up on the nice list. And so God is kind of reduced to this great toy and trinket giver or Maybe more accurately, he's just the guy that I go to whenever I need something I think is good. This is what drives the prayers of most of us in this room most of the time. Are things going well? Then why pray? You've got all the goodness that you need, why ask for more? But when things aren't going well... Well, then what else, would you do? what else would you do than to go to the giver of all good gifts? 
You see, the amount of goodness we feel like we are experiencing in our life is, is directly related to the amount of time that we spend in prayer. And too often, that is true. Far too often, it is God's goodness to us that drives us to pray instead of God's inherent goodness in himself. So it's the goodness we expect him to give us versus the inherent goodness that he has. His goodness should draw us to pray, regardless of the circumstances and the amount of goodness we are experiencing in our life. But that is rarely what pushes us to pray. It is often just the desire for some good gifts. God is not Santa Claus. God is not just a good guy. Lest we forget everything that we learned this summer, God is great. God is all powerful. Powerful. God is even terrifying and to be feared. Here's how A.W. Tozer says it in the knowledge of the holy. He says, the greatness of God rouses fear within us, but his goodness encourages, encourages us not to be afraid of him. To fear and to not be afraid, that is the paradox of faith. That's a great way to think about the goodness of God. His greatness rouses fear. His goodness relieves that fear. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture for us. Or one of my often used quotes from Mr. Beaver in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Lucy asks, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, talking about Aslan, who represents God. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. God isn't safe, but he's good. And it is that goodness that draws us to him, that should pull us to him, that should help us to experience and to know him. God is good. There is none that are good but God. That is an absolute statement about an absolute characteristic. Goodness is all over him. There is no exception to that. In fact, God himself defines what goodness is. So then what does that mean for us to be good? We aren't good in the same way that God is, yet we are called to goodness as a fruit of the Spirit. So how do we do that? Now we've, we've looked at what it means for God to be good, but but what does it look like for us to be good? So for that, what I want to do is I want to look at a parable, and I want to look at two different instances where, where the, in the New Testament where it talks about someone being good. So three different things. It's going to talk about how we then display this goodness. That's what we've got for the rest of the morning. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. We're going to read a parable here from Jesus. And this is a parable uh, that, that's a little bit long, but I think when we get to the end of it especially, uh, we'll be able to draw some things out that will help us. So Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. 
And about the eleventh hour, he went out and he found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, but you have made them equal to us, and have borne the burden, or to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, am I doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me or do you begrudge my generosity So the last will be first and the first last So this parable uh and, and it's going to be these last couple of verses that I'm going to draw our attention to uh in this parable the 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 master hires workers at all different times during the day brings them in he agrees to them to say I'm going to pay you this amount of money they say sounds good to me I'll come and I'll do the work and all throughout the day these different workers get added and then you get to the end of the day and he's handing out their paychecks at the end of the day and everybody makes the same amount of money not the same amount per hour the same amount, period. Flat pay, you all get paid the same amount. So some guys work 12 hours, some guys work 9, some 6, some just an hour, but they all made the same amount of money. And they say, that's not fair. To which the employer says, why is it not fair? You agreed to work for this amount of money, and that's the amount of money that I'm going to pay you. This is the fair arrangement and agreement that we gave to you. What does it matter to you if I give this amount of money to these other guys that came at the last hour? Nothing has changed in our deal. How is this unfair? I'm paying you exactly what I promised to pay you. There's nothing that is unfair here. And then in verse 15 he says, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity now this is a piercing question do you begrudge my begrudge me for my generosity what is it to you if i give my money away it's not your money it's mine i'm paying you what i said i would why do you hate me for my generosity or you could say why do you hate me for my goodness that word there, generosity, that's how it's translated uh, here in this, this Bible. I don't know how it's translated in yours, but that word generosity, which I think is going to be the case over a lot of translations, is the same word that we use for goodness. It's the same word. And so you could translate that, why do you begrudge me for my goodness? And this is something that you see play out a few different times in a few different ways throughout the New Testament. Goodness is compared, or in this case, even the same word translated to mean generosity. So goodness equals generosity. Goodness describes someone that is generous. Not just generous of 
you know, financially being able to give money to whoever he wants, as is in the case of this parable, but a generosity of spirit, a willingness to give things away, a willingness to, 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 uh, to, to give things to others in spite of what it might cost you. A generosity of spirit. So that's one way in which we can talk about God's goodness, and then we can talk about how we too are called to be good. We are to be generous. But again, goodness looks different to different people at different times. So here's, there's this idea of generosity, and that's one way to look at it. Another is in Acts chapter 11. If you want to turn over to Acts chapter 11... Whenever you get to Acts chapter 11, there's been these reports of kind of explosive growth in the early church, in the Christian church. There's this, been this re- report of this explosive growth and, and the, the apostles and the, the church leaders that are in Jerusalem are saying, wait a minute, who are these people that are coming anyway? What are they doing? What, is this really happening the way that we think it's happening? And they were a bit confused because the people that were that were, that were, that were uh having this explosive growth. It was in a city called Antioch. There wasn't a strong Jewish presence there. That's where they assumed it would come from, is from the Jewish people. But these weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. And so uh, the church leaders were confused, saying, how is this happening that we are getting this kind of explosive growth from people that aren't even like us? And they say, we need somebody to go and check this out and find out if this is for real. Because this doesn't seem like this would be for real. And so they send a guy named Barnabas. They say, Barnabas, we need you to go and check stuff out for us. We need you to go and make sure that this is what we think it is. And here's what happened in Acts chapter 11, verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. You see that there? Barnabas was a good man. Why was he a good man? What made him a good man here? Why, why would Luke, in writing this, give us this commentary about Barnabas? After all, this is about Antioch, not about Barnabas. Yet we've got this little, this little, this little uh, note here kind of explaining who Barnabas was. So it says that Barnabas was a good man, not because Barnabas showed up and did anything to become good that made himself good, But because whenever he showed up in Antioch and he saw what God had done in unexpected places with unexpected people that weren't like him, he did not begrudge them and he did not begrudge God. He was glad. And then he encouraged them. He exhorted them. He was happy for them. In fact, if you go to Acts 4, what we find out is that Barnabas, his very name means encourager. So he was encouraged by what he saw, he was glad in what he saw, and he encouraged them. He could have been analytical, he could have said, is this allowed, can we do that? That's what some of the other apostles do. You you go on to Acts 15, you see where there's this, this council, and they're trying to figure out, is this even allowed for these Gentiles to come? What does it look like for Gentiles to come? Barnabas wasn't interested in the technicalities of it. He just saw what God was doing, and he said, praise God for what he is doing. 
and he encouraged them. And he, he said, listen, this is wonderful what is happening here. We love you guys. And he encouraged them. So that's two pieces of the puzzle. Generous and encouraging. I want you to go to one more place, and this is one we looked at uh, a few months ago uh, in the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon. And we get one more picture of what goodness is here. So let's read the, the key part again. If you don't remember, this is where, uh, where uh, a slave named Onesimus is no longer a slave. He's been freed. He's been uh, with Paul. And Paul is sending him back now to his former owner, his former boss. And he says, look, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. Receive him as you would receive me. And this is what we see in Philemon chapter 13, or in verse 13. Paul writes, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. As a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I preferred to do nothing, verse 14, preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion. Here what Paul is getting at, this term goodness, means something more like being kind-hearted being understanding, being compassionate. We'll call it benevolence and compassion. So let's put all three of these kind of pictures together and see what we come up with. Generous, compassionate, benevolent, and an encourager. I think as best I can pull out of Scripture, that's what we've been called to as Christians. That, that's who we would be. That in the power of the Spirit, this is the type of person we would be. So let me ask you, are you generous? Not just financially, but are you generous of spirit? When you see someone or you come to, to someone, are, are you like, uh, really like Barnabas is, where you don't come looking to judge, but instead you come li- looking to listen. You come looking to, uh, to, to, to be Show kindness. You come looking to give someone the benefit of the doubt. You come looking to find the good in people. And you come willing to give part of yourself. How are you doing with that? Are you an encourager of others? We've got those cards sitting out there on the table. Have you taken those cards and written those and sent those to someone? Have you called someone? Have you found someone before you walked out of church and said, listen, I just need to come to you and I need to let you know how something you have done has blessed me or how I've been watching you and I see God's grace in you. I see his goodness toward you in this. Have you encouraged someone and said, you know what? I want to be here. I want to be a part of this with you because I, I just love what I see in you and what God is doing. Have you shown mercy? Have you celebrated what God is doing? I'll tell you one of these one of the areas where this kind of this can kind of be a struggle for me. As Christians, we can we can find it easy to think that we have become the arbiters 
of right and wrong. And what I mean by that is we think of ourselves as the justice crowd. Because after all, justice is a, is a biblical... We're going to talk about God being just here in a few weeks. Justice is a right and a good thing. And what we can do is we can see ourselves as the arbiter of justice and we can say, we can say you know what? Here's how things should be. And we'll be quick to say things like, well, you know what? They had it coming to them. You know what? They, they made their own bed. They can lie in it now. You know what? They, they, they have done this and they have done that. And, and, and you know what? I think they probably deserve and they got what they deserved. Or you ask questions, well, what did they think was going to happen if they did this? And, and the general attitude, the general sense of, well, of course this is what happened because they did this stupid thing. Well, of course this is what's going to happen because they did this unjust thing and then this is the consequences for those actions. I can find myself thinking in that way a lot and I can, I can find myself saying, you know what, I'm fine with justice. Let's just let justice be served. Now I want to be careful here. I'm not setting goodness against justice. Justice is, is good and right. And this is something that we want to be able to do. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. God holds these two together with no contradiction. But for us, what I find is that most of us trend in one direction or the other. We'll either be, we'll either be very, very staunchly just people and we want what is right and what is fair, or we'll be people that are kind and that are generous and that are giving of, uh, give the benefit of the doubt, and there's really not much in between. And we find it hard to hold those two things together. So here's what I'm just asking you this morning. If you're like me and you've got a strong sense of what's fair and what's right, then it can be very easy for you to celebrate and cheer when justice is served. And there are times when that is absolutely warranted. But what if, just think with me here, but what if instead you didn't run first to being right Run first to being just. I'm not saying you ignore it, but you just don't run there first. Instead, you clung to this idea of goodness. Goodness toward others. You prayed to be like Barnabas. To be a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. You oozed out goodness. You oozed out generosity and understanding. You are known to be an encourager that lifted spirits. That when you walk into a room, people smile because they know that they're about to get a dose of encouragement from you and they're about to see what it means to be generous towards someone. If you were to just simply assume the best about others instead of the worst, what would that look like? How would that change the way you view people? That instead of looking at people and saying, I hope they get what they deserve, instead you look to people and you say, I hope those people have see grace and mercy in me. That's a different way to look at someone. Instead of saying, I hope that they suffer the consequences for these actions, you say, I hope that show, someone can show them mercy and grace as they learn the truth. And you have a generosity towards them. 
that you give the benefit of the doubt and you give the benefit of the doubt and you give the benefit of the doubt because you want to believe the best about people. Not in, na- in, in some naive kind of Pollyannish kind of thing. We, we know that sin is real. We know that consequences are there. But do you cheer that? Or do you lament that? Do you hope for mercy? Do you hope to be an instrument of that mercy? Do you hope to be good to people? Or do you just want to be just to people? It is good to be just. But to be good goes beyond that and says, not only do I want to be just, but I want to show goodness and kindness and generosity and mercy and love and encouragement and benevolence. I want to show those things. Friends, this is what we are called to Because as Christians, this is what we've been shown. Judgment withheld on us in favor of grace. Generosity toward us that we could never deserve or even begin to comprehend. Friends, this is what it it means to be called Christians. We don't receive justice. We receive goodness. Now that justice isn't gone. We'll get there. Hang in there with me. We'll get there. It's not gone. But we don't get what we deserve. We get goodness. And we are called to display that same goodness to others. Jesus receives our punishment because God has been generous towards us. Ephesians chapter 2 summarizes this well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is just a whole bowl of goodness coming your way, described in all kinds of different ways here. And raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God, being rich in mercy, generously gave us that mercy. And then we get the riches of His grace because He has been generous. What a beautiful story for us. This is the goodness of God towards us, and this is the same goodness that that we are then called to. Do you know what Paul is talking about there? The goodness of God. May we be able to reflect that back to someone that doesn't deserve it, just like we didn't. That we can cling to this promise of Psalm 23 that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We can say that because God is faithful and His goodness will follow us. It will stalk us. It will not leave us alone. Everywhere we turn, His goodness will be there. And I wonder, who would say that about you? 
Who would say that about you? And they would say, surely he will follow me all the days of his life in his goodness as he pursues me, as he loves me, as he cares for me, as he encourages me, as he is generous towards me. Would people see you reflecting that character and nature of God? That you are someone that is constantly, just obsessively pursuing others in goodness. That's what we've been called to. But that doesn't happen in our own power. It is a fruit of the Spirit that we would display the goodness of God because of the goodness that we have been shown. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we sing these songs of your goodness. We we read your word and we learn of your goodness. And, and, And we read over and over of all of these ways that you are good to us. And even though it's all over Scripture, even though it's all around us, even though your goodness is declared night and day, even though your goodness is declared on every page of Scripture, we can't comprehend how good you are to us, nor can we comprehend why you would be. And yet you are. So Father, I just pray as we walk out of this place, you will open our eyes to your goodness that we would perhaps see with new glasses this morning that would focus us in on your goodness and that we would not be focused on that goodness as a means to us, but instead as a means that would flow through us to others. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.